Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing in point number three on our worksheet entitled Important Prophecy Terms, and we have been exploring the scriptures dealing with the gospel of the kingdom, and our intent here is to show the Big differences, and there are several big differences between what's called the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Christ, that he was here to set up his kingdom with Israel 2,000 years ago, and the gospel of grace, which is the gospel, the good news of Christ that he turned to after Israel rejected him as their king. They rejected the gospel of the kingdom. So it was basically presented to them, and they accepted. They didn't accept it. It was presented in vain, if you will. So then, uh, and we've talked about that in some detail, he turned from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of, of grace. And we have been going through uh, the attributes of the one who was prophesied to bring the gospel of the kingdom, obviously Jesus Christ, and we looked at him as a prophet as a Messiah, as a king, and as a conqueror. And as you have, if you've been with us for a while, and if you have your worksheet in front of you, you can go back and look at those scriptures. They're in point number three. And you can see where we went to the Old Testament, then we went to the New Testament to see what each of the Testaments had to say about this promised uh, king, because he obviously, having been prophesied, God being who he is as a covenant-keeping God, brought everything that had been prophesied to fruition during uh, the, t- the life of Christ, because everything was exemplified through the life of Christ at his first coming. Once we did that, then now we have gotten into uh, what I'm calling the attributes of the kingdom uh, as part of this gospel of the kingdom. And we have to understand, although it didn't uh, come into fruition at the time of Christ's first coming, the Old Testament prophesies that when the, the Lord comes to judge and to set up his kingdom, which he promised then, but he will fulfill in the yet future period, the tribulation period of the, the judgment in the millennial kingdom, that there has to be a time of tribulation. It's all through the Old Testament, and it is probably described more with more descriptive terms than anything else about the kingdom because it was basically a time of um, judgment, a time of, of very difficult uh, living conditions, both physically and spiritually. And we uh, are touching on those points. In fact, we're about to finish those up, and then we're going to get into the kingdom themselves. So let's see if we can do that in today's program. Um, was As we finished up in our last program, we were in Matthew. We were in Matthew 24. And we have been talking, if you're looking at your worksheet there, you see Jeremiah 30, verse 7, you see Deuteronomy 4, you see Joel 2, and we went through each of those Old Testament passages to describe 
in a very um, high-level overview the various aspects of this tribulation period that would have happened 2,000 years ago if Israel had accepted Jesus, but it didn't, it will come later. And, of course, the church will not be here to see that because uh, the Lord has promised us that he will not expose us to that wrath, but will take us out uh, in the rapture. So we're in Matthew 24, one of the the more um, debated, if you will, prophetic passages in the Bible. And the reason I say that it's, I mean, if you read it literally, if you read chapter 24 and 25 of Matthew, it simply flows. It makes imminent sense. You know who's speaking to whom, about what, about what time period, and so forth, unless you come at it with a preconceived notion that the church is preeminent. And when I say preeminent, it is over Israel. In fact, there are those that teach that the church has replaced Israel. So therefore, every chance they get, they want to interpret a word or a passage in Matthew 24 or 25 and say, oh, that's the church. Well, if you begin Matthew 24, you see that it's Jesus during his ministry. In fact, it's at the very end of his ministry. He's actually in Jerusalem um, the week of his crucifixion, and he's, he has two major discussions with his apostles. One is the Olivet Discourse to answer their questions about the tribulation to come and the, the details of his second coming. And then there is the Upper Room Discourse where Jesus is talking to them. He's not answering questions as much as he's telling them about what the life during the church age is going to be like and the, the working of the Holy Spirit as Jesus goes back to heaven. So in Matthew 24, he starts to answer the question the apostles have asked him, and he starts describing the events of the first half of the tribulation, and that goes down to about verse 14. So yes, the wars and rumors of wars and so forth, and the the woman and childbirth, that all applies to the first half of the tribulation. And you hear over and over again today that that's applying today. Well, you can possibly say that that is true, and to an extent it is, because we are seeing the stage setting for the tribulation. Uh, And of course, if we're seeing the stage setting for the tribulation, that means that the rapture comes before that. So that's why I'm excited to see all this stage setting, because the Bible tells us things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse and worse until the Lord comes back to make things right. So we've, we've uh, studied before in this uh, ministry, radio ministry here, that in the first half of the tribulation, Israel is protected from everything that's going on on the earth, this horrible death and pestilence and wars and destruction that's going on in the first half, where half the world's population on the earth dies. Israel is protected from that. So they're watching all of this from their positions, wherever they are, Israel, or scattered around the world. But God, Jesus is telling them, you're seeing these things, but these are birth pangs because it's going to come on you in a big way shortly. And that shortly is at the midpoint. And at the midpoint, we know from Daniel 9, 27, that the Antichrist who has made this treaty with Israel to protect them pulls that treaty away and basically declares himself God standing in the temple in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, that the in the rebuilt temple on the Temple Mount, and then turns his full wrath 
against Israel. And remember, at that point, Revelation teaches us that Satan is thrown out of heaven at the midpoint. Yes, Satan has access to heaven. It's not his dwelling place. It's the earth. But he has access to heaven to accuse you and me before God. And, of course, our advocate is Jesus. But at the midpoint, he's kicked out of heaven. And along with his uh, all the angels, they no longer have access And at that point, it says that Satan gives his power, his authority, and his throne to the Antichrist. So, in effect, the Antichrist is acting as God on the earth. Now, think about this. You have Satan, you have the Antichrist, and you have the false prophet on the dark side. On the light side, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Can you see that? You have the opposites. One is the antithesis of the other. And Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are fooling people into thinking they are the triune Godhead. And they get to be very successful at it, unfortunately. And many, many people on the earth uh, fall for it and take the mark of the beast and so forth. But this is the point when Israel, which again is the focus of God, uh, in the tribulation period, is the focus of God is to test them to their knees, if you will, to bring them to a saving knowledge of who he is through his son, to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. So we read, uh, to sum this up, at the um, uh, point here in Matthew 24 and verse 21, and this is where we finished our last program, it says in 21, for then... There will be a great tribulation. So this great tribulation is the second half from the perspective of Israel. From the perspective of Israel, this is the great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Verse 22, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And we talked last time about how This is the wrath, uh, the Antichrist uh, and Satan working through the Antichrist is trying to destroy all of Israel. And remember, Satan wants Israel destroyed so that Jesus doesn't come back. Jesus said, I will not come back to you, Israel. Again, that's the focus. That's God's wife. I will not come back to you until you recognize me as the Messiah. So if Satan can get rid of Israel, they can't recognize him, and Jesus won't come back. Satan does not have his skull crushed, as was prophesied back in Genesis chapter 3, and he, can, he retains his position as king of the earth. So that's his focus. And you see how desperate Satan is in verse 22 of Matthew 24 to do that. No life would have been saved. The whole world would have been annihilated if God had not intervened, but he did for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. In other words, those three and a half years, Satan would have kept on going if he hadn't been stopped by God. And it says for the sake of the elect, and we talked last time, and this is one of those key words in Matthew 24, that there are certain people jump all over that because they see the word elect and they immediately Remember what somebody told them, elect means, and that means the church. Well, if you do the the study in the Greek in the New Testament and then take that word and go into the Hebrew in the Old Testament, you find that the righteous people 
the called out ones, the chosen ones, are called the elect. In the New Testament, they can be called the church or any righteous person. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. Israel was the elect, the chosen ones, the called out ones. Now remember, you have to appreciate through the proper study here who's speaking to whom about what when. When is the key thing. This is the tribulation. This period called the tribulation is going to function like it did in the Old Testament. Remember, the Holy Spirit does not come into you permanently because he only did that with the church. He comes on you, and he will leave you if you leave your righteous uh, condition. And we read that in Ezekiel 33, that uh, things function in the tribulation because God's attention is back to Israel. So what what he did uh, in focusing on Israel in the Old Testament is the way he will focus on Israel in the tribulation period. The church is gone. The church age is gone. The gospel of grace is gone. It's now back to the gospel of the kingdom. So the elect here are basically righteous Israel. Righteous Israel. And you say, well, aren't there righteous Gentiles on the earth? Yes, there are, but most of them have been killed. And they're called the tribulation saints that you read about in Revelation 20, verse 4. So principally, he is talking about the righteous remnant of Israel, and that's why God intervenes and stops this. It's for his wife. That's really what we're talking about here. And then as you see on your worksheet, uh, to finish things up, we go over to verses 29 to 31. Matthew 24, 39 to, uh, 29 to 31. And you remember over here in 21, it said, for then there will be a great tribulation. And now over in 29, it says, but immediately after the tribulation. So three and a half years have quickly passed by here, and Israel uh, has been brought to their knees, and they're getting ready to be judged along with all the surviving Gentiles of the tribulation. Verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of of the heavens will be shaken. Now let's step out of the scripture here for just a moment and remember back, and you can see it on your worksheet in Joel chapter 2. When you read in Joel chapter 2 about the um, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars, he's talking, that, that shows you that Joel was not talking about any period of time from biblical history uh, up to now. He's talking about a yet future to you and me, a yet future event called the tribulation, and specifically the Jewish great tribulation. It'll be the end of those seven years, just at the point where Jesus is going to come back in all of his glory with his angels to fight the wars at Armageddon and so forth, and he will come back with the church. Uh, I personally can't find any scripture in the Bible that tells me that the church will come back and enter into this conflict. It'll be Jesus with his angels that do all that. But you can see now that Matthew 24, verse 29, verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 29, is basically using the verbiage from Joel and other passages that talk about the sun, the moon, and the stars, and so forth. Then verse 30, 
then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. And again, let me step out here to make up another point. Nowhere, having already studied this, uh, if you've been with us during these prophetic terms when we looked at Son of God, Son of Man, nowhere in the Matthew Olivet Discourse, which is Matthew 24 and 25, do you see the term Son of God? It's all the Son of Man. And you remember from our in-depth study of those two terms, those two prophetic terms, that the Son of Man comes to judge. The Son of Man comes as a thief in the night to destroy and to take and to judge. And that's why it says here in verse 30, I'm reading again in verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Verse 31, and he will send forth his angels. See, here's a distinction again. When Jesus comes for the church, he does not come to the earth, and he does not send his angels out to gather us. It says he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they, the angels, will gather together his elect. Remember the elect back from verse 22? These are the righteous remnant, his elect from the four corners of the, from one end of the sky to the other. So we're seeing this is the culmination of the tribulation that has to take place before Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom. This is what was prophesied in the Old Testament to happen the first time he came, but because they did not accepting, none of that took place. But this will take place when he comes again uh, at the end of the preaching of for seven years of the gospel of the kingdom once again to Israel, uh, and then the world uh, that remains after the tribulation will benefit from that wonderful gospel. So that's the tribulation period. It's going to be a terrible time. There's going to be extensive death and destruction on the earth. Uh, Israel will not be uh, um, oblivious to this. They will be protected in the first half, the first three and a half years. But the second three and a half years, they will be the focus of it. And there will be a lot of death, a lot of destruction in Israel, but the remnant will be saved out of that. And that's a subject for another day. Um, So it's a, a very difficult time. But in the end, the end result and the purpose of the tribulation, the primary purpose focused on Israel is that they will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and then Jesus will set up his kingdom. So what if they had accepted him the first time? The tribulation is over, and they had accepted him the first time. That's what we want to talk now going forward is now that we've gotten through the tribulation, what is the kingdom going to look like, or excuse me, what would the kingdom have looked like if he had uh, come Uh, the first time, and was accepted by the Jews. So we'll talk about that in our next program, and we'll do that by starting in uh, the book of Luke, the book of Luke chapter 1, to show you that the kingdom was promised just to Israel, just to Israel. All right, as we do in every program, let's transition over to our Q&A time. And we have been looking at a question Does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time prophecy? And we've shown in our previous programs uh, during the Q&A session that, indeed, God is the husband of Israel. 
uh, and that Israel is his wife. Uh, the wedding ceremony was covered in Exodus 19, and then we showed that in Acts 15, 13 to 18, that there is going to be a point in time in the future, as talked about in Acts 15, and and the verbiage there is actually lifted out of the Old Testament um, minor prophet book of Amos to make the point that once the church is taken out of the way, which is the rapture of the church, then God, through Jesus Christ, will turn his attention back to Israel, and he will come again, and he will rebuild the tents of David. In other words, this is talking about the millennial kingdom. After the tribulation, talking about the millennial kingdom. And then we transition down into our kind of summation passages, and we're very close to wrapping this up here. We've been looking at the Old Testament books of Deuteronomy, way back 1,400 years before Jesus even walked the earth. Uh, It was prophesied in Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 4 that um, wonderful things would be in store for Israel once they went through that tribulation and the righteous Israelites were identified by God, blessed by God. They They would enter into this kingdom. And uh, just to make the point about how important Israel is as the wife of God, we then uh, transitioned a little bit, if you will. We went to Matthew 25, part of the Olivet Discourse, uh, where Jesus is talking to the Israelites and answering their questions about what is the tribulation going to look like and what is your second coming going to look like. He actually goes as far as to describe how he's going, how Jesus is going to judge the Gentiles, at the end of the tribulation. Remember, the focus is on Israel, but there will be Gentiles that will be living on the earth that make it, they they actually survive the, the horrible tribulation along with a few Jews, a very small group of Jews. And he judges them in Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, called the sheep and goat judgment. And the primary reason that I went there because our focus is really to show you God's focus on Israel, is to show you, and again, this Matthew 25, part of this Olivet Discourse, is another one of those passages where people have injected, um, for whatever purpose, have injected the church into these passages, even though the Bible clearly tells you that it has nothing to do with the church. The church is out of the picture. It's all Israel. God's focus has been turned fully back to Israel because he's taken the church to heaven by his son. And we prove that point in Matthew 25 by going to the book of Joel. And uh, we went to Joel chapter 3 to show you that that this judgment described in Matthew 25 is a judgment of the Gentiles for how they treated Israel how they treated Israel during the tribulation period. And you might might think, my goodness, the world was judged, the Gentiles, which would be the predominant people just by virtue of the statistics, uh, the Gentiles were being judged by how they treated this tiny little group of people called the Jews during the tribulation. Well, my purpose in showing you that, and and I pray that you see it that way, is that God's focus is back on his wife. His focus is on Israel, and he judges the Gentiles who make it through the kingdom at the great white throne for how they treated Israel. And if they treated Israel properly and humanely, 
they were judged as the sheep, and they would be the Gentiles who enjoy the beginning of the millennial kingdom. The goats would be uh, destined to the lake of fire. Uh, So along with the judgment of Israel, you have the judgment of the Gentiles, but the Gentiles were judged on how they treated Israel. Then we went to the wonderful passage to show you about the millennial kingdom of Isaiah 2 and talking about how all the nations would come to Israel to worship Jesus sitting on his throne, his magnificent throne in the magnificent fourth temple. Remember, there's been two temples. The last one was destroyed. The first one was destroyed. The one built by Solomon was destroyed in in, uh, 586 B.C., Then Zerubbabel was released from Babylonian captivity, came to Israel, built the second temple, and then Herod the Great, and Herod, by the way, was an Edomite. I don't know how many of you knew that, but Herod was an Edomite, a a direct enemy of Israel, even though their bloodline through um, Jacob and Esau, the Edomites came from Esau, he was an Edomite. And he rebuilt the temple and turned it into one of the seventh wonders. Well, that temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. There has not been a temple since 70 A.D., but the Antichrist is going to allow Israel, through his great power, to build their third temple on the Temple Mount during the first half of the Tribulation. We know that because the Revelation says it's there. But somewhere along the line, it's going to be destroyed because it's been built in unbelief. Remember the Antichrist goes into it at the midpoint of the tribulation and calls himself God. So Jesus comes back, and after the judgments, he has the fourth millennial temple. It's bigger than anything that was ever there, grand and glorious, and he sits on his throne in the new Jerusalem to uh, to judge the world in righteousness, and the whole world comes to him during the tribulation, or excuse me, during the millennial kingdom period. And then I wanted to... Um, Spend some time in Ezekiel 36. Uh, Ezekiel 36, if you're familiar at all, well, some people say, is Ezekiel even in the Bible? Well, yeah, it is. (laughs) It's one of the uh, more wonderful prophetic books, particularly when it gets to the end around chapter 40 through 48, and it starts talking about that fourth temple that Jesus will dwell in. Uh, There are some fairly well-known theologians out there that think, that Ezekiel 40 to 48 ought to be thrown out of the Bible because it just doesn't belong there. It's just a figment of somebody's creative imagination. Well, bless their hearts. It's the Word of God, and it describes that wonderful millennial kingdom in detail, unbelievable detail. But before that, in verse in chapter 37, you have the Valley of Dry Bones, and I'm sure you've heard of that quote-unquote story. Well, it's not a story, it's an account of what's going to happen with the rebirth of Israel, when the bones and the sinew and the muscles and the skin come back together and Israel is reborn. Well, this was prophesied, you know, 500 years before Christ ever walked the earth, and yet in 1948, Ezekiel 37 happened. Now, the key thing is, it says that the breath will be be breathed into their nostrils. That hasn't happened yet because that's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives, and that will not happen until the end of the tribulation. But nevertheless, the skin and bones are back together. And right before the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel 36 is what we want to cover. So we're going to be in Ezekiel 36, 
And I'd like you to read um, basically from about verse 22 down to the end of the chapter. And we'll cover that in our next Q&A. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.